Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. So good to have you here with us along for episode 351 of the Speaker Lab podcast. We've got a great show for you today. Today's guest is Clay Bear, who's been on the show before, and uh, he's joining us to talk about how to create the perfect intro. Now, we've all been asked the question, what do you do? Now, isn't that a, a fun, pleasant question when you're asked by uh, I don't know, your, your, your great aunt Linda at the uh, annual family reunion or something like that. And you're just like, I, you know, I'm a speaker, but there's more to that. How do you describe that? How do you talk about that? So Clay is here to share a simple framework that will help you to create a powerful intro. Now, when it comes to your intro, less is actually more. And Clay's going to talk to us about why. And if you're struggling with your elevator pitch of what it is exactly that you do, Clay explains why you need to ditch that concept and focus on confidently sharing an intro about the people that you help. He's also going to be talking about the value of unpaid opportunities to take the stage and how to use your intro elsewhere to describe to event planners and decision makers what it is that you do. Having the perfect intro is an absolute game changer. And if you don't have yours, you're going to need this episode to help you out. So let's jump right into it. Here's my conversation on creating the perfect intro with Clay Bear. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speak Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. We are joined by my good friend, Mr. Clay A. Bear, who is a repeat guest. His third appearance had him way back on episode five, which feels like an eternity ago. So we got to go way back in the archives to find that one. We didn't have any clue what we were doing on episode five. Certainly don't have any clue what we're doing today. But uh, good to have you here back with us. Episode five, then episode 260, and then uh, back here today talking about the perfect intro. And uh, we're going to explain a little bit more on what that means here in just a second. But uh, Clay, thanks for being here, man. We appreciate it. Always stoked, Grant. Always stoked to be here. Episode five. That just feels like so long ago because we're it this does. is going to be episode, I don't know, 350, 360, something like that. I don't have it in front of me, so forgive me. But uh, going from five to the 300s, how, how do you using how does a, it feel? We're using, a, we're using a hand crank phonograph on that. With, I don't like, know what, what we did. What, People were, were sketch, uh, hand painting uh, our, our words, maybe. Yeah, we but, had to sit still so they could sketch us. As, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So for uh, so people who, who haven't were, gone who back to the four people that were ahead of me, that's why, I, why did uh, you... I don't I'd have to look. Um, <laughs> but clearly they they didn't make the impact that you did. Ma- I don't know. Anyway, I'm just, off, probably I'm just off the podium. So. Maybe it was just me and you were the first <laughs> guest. That's also possible. <laughs> Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's go back for a second here. So first of all, why don't you give us like a quick snapshot for people who aren't familiar with clay? Who are you? What do you do? And, uh, how's that impact with speakers? Yeah. Well, what we're here to talk about today is that question you just asked. So what do you do? Uh, I help people answer that question better, better than they did before. Uh, we, it turns out we never get taught how to answer that question. Or if we do, it's this really lame thing called the elevator pitch. And, uh, we don't ride, we don't want to pitch ourselves in elevators 
Uh, it's not a good way to, to explain what you do. So after a, an embarrassing introduction to one of my heroes, and we can talk about that, uh, I spent some time thinking about a better way to do that. And yeah, I call it the perfect intro. So that's, that's what I teach. And I know your audience is mostly speakers and that's, that's my main talk. That's what I talk about. And so we've actually used, um, uh, we, we've done some of this training for on the perfect intro for our students. This isn't something that we've talked about super uh, publicly. And so this is why we wanted to, to have you back to talk a bit about this today. Yeah. Um, because you're exactly right that speakers have such a difficult time really figuring out how to communicate what it is that they do and for people to get that and for people to understand the the uh, the need for the solution that a speaker is bringing to the table. And so it's so much more than just saying like, I'm a speaker, but right. who are you, what are you speaking about? What's the problem that you're solving? Who are you speaking to? And helping people to, to connect the dots. So first of all, why don't you start by giving us that you teased a, a second ago. Uh, and you also mentioned that you you do a decent amount of speaking yourself. So you're, mm-hmm. you're one of us. Uh, so talk to yeah. us, give us the story about why this first became a, on your radar and why it became an issue for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was uh I was at a conference in 2013. I was living in New York City at the time. Conference was in San Diego and I love San Diego. I lived there for a number of years and, and eventually moved back there. So I I was excited to go. Didn't ask a lot. They said that the speakers are going to be great. The attendees are going to be great. I wasn't speaking. I was just just attending. So I was I was thrilled. Went there. I sat in the back, which is interesting. I usually kind of try to sit in the front to, to pay attention. Um, but I ended up sitting in the back and after the first speaker who was amazing, they said, why don't you turn around and introduce yourself to the person behind you? Pretty standard conference fair. So I did shake his hand and he said, so what's your name? What do you do? That same, that question. So what do you do? And for whatever reason that day, I had this long, boring, rambling, drawn out, lame, very lame introduction. And I went on and on about every city I ever lived in and favorite flavors of ice cream. And I love the Green Bay Packers. And I was just going on and on and on. So to stop myself, I kind of caught myself and to stop myself, I said, so what's your name? What do you do? And he was just as cool as Fonzie. He's like, oh, my name is Matt. And I run a little software company. And I was geeky again. I'm like, oh, I love software. I love startups. What's it called? Maybe I've heard of it. And he was like, it's called Automatic. And in that moment, everything it's like, it's like when the gears in your brain all sort of click and connect. And I realized who I was speaking to. I realized who was sitting at the back of this conference with me in the chair in the back row. I was speaking, Matt, the guy who introduced himself as Matt, his full name is Matt Mullenweg, the founder of Automatic, which is the parent company of WordPress, which I think your site is on. Probably most of the people listening to this powers site the is internet. on. Yep. Powers uh, literally uh, over a quarter of the internet, I believe. So the guy powering a quarter of the internet is just sitting in the back row with me and I completely punted and blew my introduction. And so I walked away from that. It was kind of a, don't call me, I'll call you situation with Matt. (laughs) And I haven't spoken with him since actually. Uh, And I walked away from that interaction thinking, why did I do that so poorly? When he said, so what do you do? That was an opportunity to connect with one of my heroes. Not like, he wasn't like a Michael Jordan hero. I didn't have a poster of servers on my bedroom wall when I was younger, but I, but he was an internet hero of mine. He built the software that I built my sites on and sites for clients. And so I really thought about that. I walked away, I skipped the next couple sessions and I thought, why did I do that so poorly? And then I realized very quickly, everyone else does it really poorly as well, because we never get taught. We believe the myths of, of how we should introduce ourselves. Or if we do get taught, we get taught this stupid thing called the elevator pitch. So I want to recruit your audience to help me dismantle and kill the elevator pitch. <laughs> the way, like, I'll know this is successful if in five or 10 years, 
anytime someone brings up the elevator pitch, they say, no, you shouldn't have an elevator pitch. That's my goal. And so why is the idea of having an elevator pitch uh, such a, uh, why is this such a negative thing or why do we butcher it? Because when, when people talk about an elevator pitch that usually talk about, you know, this, this 15 to 30 second sound bite uh, mm-hmm. of kind of explaining da, 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 this is what, what, what you do. Uh, and really you, you do a good job of, no, no, just consolidate it down to a solid sentence really mm-hmm. uh, is what it is. So why is like going too deep? What's the, the downside to that? Yeah, sure. So the, the elevator pitch, which the reason it stuck around and the reason it still gets taught all the time is because it's, it's a clever, catchy name, right? We all know what it's like to get on an elevator and the elevator pitch, other than the structure of it, is, is a clever, catchy name. So that's, I think, why it stuck around. The idea behind it was someday you're going to get on an elevator with an important person and they, use the, they usually use the example of Steve Jobs. Well, newsflash, you're never going to get on an elevator with Steve Jobs ever again. And then the, the instructions were, and he's going to hit the 68th floor of the building, whatever building you're on. Apparently, this only works in very tall buildings. <laughs> and you're going to have to pitch your business and yourself to Steve Jobs or Richard Branson by the time the elevator gets to the 68th floor. And so it's this construct that's completely made up. And if you do happen to get on an elevator with Richard Branson and he hits the 68th floor, he doesn't want you to pitch him your business. He wants you to maybe have an interesting conversation or say something clever or interesting or intriguing. The inventors of the elevator pitch, and, and it's nice because there's no particular person. Um, you know, there's, there's an interesting story about Elisha Otis who invented the elevator break, and we can get into that. But the, the concept that Richard Branson wants you to pitch him your business like it's a one-page business plan, and he's going to whip out his checkbook when you're on the 60th floor and cut you a check by the 68th. It's just silly. It's just ridiculous. But it happens all the time when someone says, so what do you do, right? We never get on an elevator with Richard Branson. We get asked, so what do you do? People like us, three times a day, a thousand times a year, about 50,000 times in your adult lifetime. So it's worth getting better at the thing that happens 50,000 times, not the thing that's never going to happen, which is getting on an elevator with Steve Jobs or Richard Branson. Yeah. And so the, the problem with the structure of the elevator pitch is typically when people say, so what do you do? Typically, we believe in these three myths. We make it, number one, we make it about us. Our, mm-hmm. our intro should not be about us. It should be about who we help and why. Uh, we try to make it complete, probably because our eighth grade English teacher taught us to write you know, term papers that are complete. And then we try to make it accurate because a different teacher somewhere along the way told us that you know, the answer has to be 100% correct. Well, the reality is when you're meeting another human, instead of being talking about you, having it be complete and having it be accurate, which... None of those things independently are terrible. It's just when you add them all up, they make for a, a bad introduction. It turns out the better way to introduce yourself is to make it about the people you help, to make it interesting, and to make it confident. And so you sort of alluded to why the way that I teach it ends up with these short, uh, you know, I help people, uh, you know, what you help them do or achieve or become sort of framework uh, because that starts a conversation. A good conversation should be like a tennis match. When someone says, so what do you do? They don't want your one-page business plan. They're opening a conversation. They just hit the tennis ball to you. Your job is to hit it back, not read them a book. Yeah. So walk us through, and you started to there of like, what's the framework of the the perfect intro that, that, um, because it's a couple different components there. So Mm -hmm. what kind of walk us through that? 
Yeah, for sure. So there's basically four components and I'm going to give you three of them. And then you guys got to fill in the blank on the last one. Otherwise everyone would have the same perfect intro. So the very base formula, the most basic kind of white rice version of the, the perfect intro is I, and I know I said, it's not about you, but we're going to fix that with the next word. So the next word is help. So I help for now. The third word is people. We're going to change that in a second, but we'll start with the word people. So three words, I help people. Hopefully everyone's still with us so far. I've given you the first three words. And then the last section is what you help them do or achieve or become. And you can, you can sort of say that however you want, but if you say that using this kind of sub formula verb, their noun or verb, their nouns, uh, you can use it later on in lots of interesting ways. So I'll give you an example. Um, when you and I first met, I was doing a lot with crowdfunding, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, mm-hmm. those kind of crowdfunding platforms. So a bad introduction, if someone said, so what do you do, would be, I'm a crowdfunding strategist, or I am a Kickstarter expert, because that's all about me. Mm-hmm. So take that and turn it into a perfect intro. I help people, verb their noun. So in this case, verb their noun would be fund their dreams. In, in this case, the, the noun is plural. I help people fund their dreams. And then you change the word people to who it is you help. So in this case, I would say, I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams. And that's this sort of like simple, straightforward, confident, not particularly complete, right? Because I've said that a thousand times and I've had people say, what kind of entrepreneurs? I've had other yeah. people say, what kind of dreams? I've had other people say, are you an angel investor? Um, and so I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams is sort of the perfect Goldilocks level of specificity for explaining what I did. And, and again, to do this and to believe in the perfect intro, you have to be willing to have it be not complete because they're going to say, some question like that. What do you mean? How do you do that? What kind of dreams? What kind of entrepreneur? It doesn't matter what the question is. Then you lead into what I call your customer case story. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps to help me to grow a seven-figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. You've opened that loop, but we're going to come back to that then because sure. I, I got a ton of questions here. So, sure. uh one thing that comes to mind is I think that one mistake I notice with speakers, especially mm-hmm. is we feel the need for it to be, to sound really, really sophisticated or fancy or use a lot of this, um, 
business language, you know, like you mentioned, you know, I, um, uh, I'm a, I'm a crowd, uh, crowdfunding uh, strategist. Uh, and you're just kind of like, yeah, well, like, what does that even mean though? Right. You know? And it's just like this, like corporate jargon or something versus exactly. I help people fund their dreams. Like uh, it feels like, um, it, the, the simpler it is, the easier it is to understand, but we feel like it's almost counterintuitive because we feel like it, it's, it almost waters down too much what we do and oversimplifies what it is that we do. So can you get to speak to that? Like the balance yeah. between like, you want to sound sharp and polished and professional and what it is that you do. And so we use words like strategist or you know, right. whatever, or expert or thought leader when really like, you know, I just, I help people fund their dreams, you know? So how, how do we, how should we think about that? Yeah, the biggest vector to think about it, because we can we can sort of tweak the words all day, but the biggest vector to think about it is you don't make it about you, you make it about who you who it is that you help. And if you make it about who it is that you help, the person you're talking to can either see themselves in that or they'll know someone else and be able to see that person in that. If I say I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams and someone says, uh, Oh, my, my nephew, Jeff is an entrepreneur. And I know him last week we were talking at a cocktail party about, he was really looking for funding for this new thing he was doing. Do you, do you mean like that? It can become a great sort of referral conversation um, versus I am a, let's say Kickstarter strategist. Someone might not, might not have said, I need a Kickstarter strategist, right? So you want it to be, you don't want it to be, you know, I enlighten people. You don't want to get into this sort of, right. you know, Woo woo, flaky, flowery, whatever. You want a certain level of specificity. You want a little bit of an edge that you can lean on. Um, entrepreneurs is a specific group of people, but also pretty broad. And, or you could say, you know, I help speakers clarify their message, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what you do, I help speakers book more stages, like that kind of thing. Um, I, you know, there, there's so many ways to kind of play with the verbs and the nouns and things like that, but you want to hit that that Goldilocks level of specificity that opens a loop. So they ask a further clarifying question and then you can explain more through the story. So it seems like part of that is also not only like in the word choice that you use for um, simplicity, but also like in the length. So you mentioned like, you know, I help people fund their dreams. It would have got six words there yeah. uh, versus like, you could really stretch that out to <clears throat> easily 10, 15, 20 words. So should we really just trying to be like, you know, six, seven, eight, max is like, are there a certain word count that we should be going for that also then by doing that also forces us to be, to really simplify it. Yeah. When I first started teaching this, when I first kind of came up with the framework, it was probably a couple of years after the, the Matt Mullenweg, fateful Matt Mullenweg meeting. Um, <clears throat> I initially called it the six word intro because of that, because I help people fund their dreams or I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams. And I would sort of steer people towards six words and what I realized is sometimes six words is wrong. Like I, I really don't care how many words it is, but it should be as short and sweet as possible. And actually, since you're obviously in the speaking industry and, and so are the folks listening, uh, I was at an event um, during COVID. It was one of these sort of a green screen type studio events mm-hmm. where I, I flew to Atlanta and, and filmed for this conference in a green screen and the makeup woman uh as she was doing my hair and makeup, which, you know, <laughs> is one of those uh, strange, uh, you know, experiences when you, before you step out, I was chatting with her for a while. She said, Oh, what are you speaking on? And I kind of explained it to her. And then quickly it turns into kind of a little coaching workshop session. And before she had fixed my rat's nest of hair, uh, we came up with a really great intro for her. That was literally only three words. Um, 
which is eye polish diamonds and hair and makeup. If you think about what a hair and makeup person does, and then she gets to tell the story. Oh, what do you mean? Polished diamonds. Are you a jeweler? Blah, blah, blah. And she said, no, actually I work backstage. I'm a hair and makeup artist and I work with speakers and da, da, da. And her whole thing about hair and makeup and you know what she does, isn't that a more interesting, confident, elevated version of, if you say I'm a hair and makeup artist, you've just put yourself in a category of, I don't know how many hair and makeup artists work in the United States, but certainly tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, you don't differentiate at all. But if you confidently with sort of a wry smile and maybe a wink, if you say, I polish diamonds, you kind of know that the person's not talking about actual diamonds. You're like, what do you mean? You know, I instantly, I lean forward, I'm intrigued, I'm interested. So that's only three words. So to your point, it can be three, it can be six. I don't care if it's nine. I don't think it should be Again, when you get to 30 seconds and this whole thing, what what it tends to lean towards is then you start talking about yourself. So two of the rules are no buzzword. I don't care if it's six words or nine words or whatever. The rules are you don't make it about yourself and you don't use all this industry jargon. You don't try to stuff your bio. You know, If you and I showed up at a party and we stuffed our shirt with socks to make it look like we had bigger biceps it would be pretty obvious. And yet that's what people do with their intros is they stuff their intros with these big, important sounding words, thinking they're going to sound better. And yet if you ask them, would you prefer this intro or this intro, what what would make you more interested or intrigued to talk to the person? It's always the one with shorter, more interesting, more intriguing words like I polish diamonds. So we're talking about this in the context of, you know, uh, typically like a, a one-on-one conversation with another person, but it seems like this type of, of words could, they could really be used on like on a website and in other ways. Part of the problem though, is when you say I polish diamonds or whatever the phrase may, or the intro may be, you're opening a loop. It creates the dialogue. You're throwing the tennis ball back. But when you're doing it on a web, on a website where oftentimes it feels like a one-way form of communication, you put something like I polish diamonds there, then you're going like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't have any diamonds. So it immediately like it, it, it feels like it, it could potentially close it off. So yep. a couple questions from that then is should the perfect intro that, that six word or whatever, you know, word phrase be, should that be words, especially for like speakers, should it be used on a website, on a demo video and some of these like marketing materials? Does that make sense in that? Or is that just, is the perfect intro meant to be used only in like one-on-one communication? Yeah, for sure. Great, great question. I'm glad you asked because I know all the all the speakers and aspiring speakers listening have websites they want to improve. The reason I said in the beginning is you want to try to craft the last part of what you help them do or achieve or become in the structure of verb their noun or verb their nouns. Like I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams because when you do it that way, all you have to do is change there to your and you have a great website headline or course name or whatever. So simple example, I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams. A great website headline or course name for a crowdfunding course would be fund your dream. Boom, mm-hmm. done, you know, fund your dream. There's a crowdfunding course. And so if you think about this in the speaker world, right? If, if let's say you speak on employee engagement and getting uh, employees more excited about the company mission and things like that. What would the, you know, verb their noun for that be? It could be rally the troops or rally their troops. So your intro in person, like you said, if you meet somebody on a plane, what do you do? Well, I help fortune 500 companies rally their troops. That's pretty interesting. Like it's that, you see how that's that Goldilocks level of, I kind of know, how do you do that? Do you make them walk on coals? Like, what do you do? I help 
big companies rally their troops. Well, then take that verb there noun and change there to your rally your troops. That's a pretty great, it might not be the the front headline on your entire website, but it might be. And it, and it could certainly be the title of a talk. And then you pair it with an additional description. One important thing to note and to think about, and I'm sure you've covered this, is a headline only has one job. Nobody ever reads a headline and then sends a check for your full speaker fee. The headline has one job, which is to get them to read the next line, the, ne- the old you know, copywriting uh, truism. A goal of any line of copy, including the headline, is to get them to read the next line. So if they want to get their crowdfunding project funded and they read fund your dream, guess what 100% of people are going to do is read the next line. And if they're an event planner who's interested in improving their employee engagement and they read rally your troops, they're going to read the next line somewhere near 99 to 100% of those people. It's not going to turn them off and it's going to pique their interest and say, ooh, maybe this is the speaker I'm looking for. That's the only job of your headline. If they continue to read after your headline, your headline can grab its lunch pail and go home because it did a good day's work and it earned its job. If it, if they read the rest of your speaker description and clicked, that's where you get them to click play on your video. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that you're not there in a, a, a website is a very different context and interaction than meeting somebody on a plane. If I meet you on a plane, I can say, I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams. And I don't care if you say what kind of dreams, what kind of entrepreneurs I get to launch into a story of an entrepreneur. I've helped what I call a case story on your website. You're not there to do it. But again, the goal of a, of a website headline is to get them to read the next thing or click play on a video. You want them to either scroll or click scroll down or click play to learn more. And as speakers, one of the things you want them to click play on is our speaker reel and our stage intros and our, uh, you know, our stage footage and our, our testimonials and things like that. So that's the, uh, you know, let me tell you a story version of, of, clicking through in a, in a real conversation, it's them answering a question on your website. It's them clicking play on a video or scrolling down and continuing to read more. You've referred to it a couple of times in terms of this Goldilocks, just finding that perfect, perfect balance um, between not being too specific, not being too vague, but uh, especially on the vagueness, because the, the tendency is like, we want to try to appeal to as many people as possible. And it, again, it's counterintuitive, but the more specific, the more narrow, the more focused you are, the easier it is for people to kind of self-select and identify like, oh, you have what I need. I need to learn more versus just trying to be all things for all people. So what the analogy we've used several times is, is being a, a buffet versus a steakhouse, like a speaker, right. we, you want to be the steakhouse. You want to, you're not trying to appeal to vegetarians. You're not trying to appeal to people looking for tacos. You're a steakhouse versus a, you know, a buffet is going like, yeah, we have steak and we have tacos and we have barbecue and we have, you know, fill in the blank. We have it all. And so you don't want to be that. And so I think the default then for speakers is because we want, we just want to speak. And so we want to spread that net as far and wide as possible. And so what ends up happening that shoots ourselves in the foot is say like, well, who do you want me to speak to? I can speak to any of mm-hmm. my messages for humans. My message is for everybody. And what do I speak about? I don't know. What do you want me to speak about? I can speak about right. anything, you know? And so I can see some speakers going like, oh, I know what my perfect intro is. Like I help people. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> right. what? That you, know, you haven't told me anything, you know? Yeah. So how do we make sure that again, we, we, uh, we don't go too vague and, and just saying like, you know, I, 
I help, I help humans. It's like that. Mm -hmm. You haven't told me anything, you know? So how do we make sure there's enough specificity there that again, creates some intrigue and interest? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I love your analogy of the buffet and the steakhouse. And I, and I completely agree. I think that's a great one because what's the most famous buffet in the United States? What's the biggest brand of buffet? Is there one? I mean, I grew up in Eau Claire where there was old country buffet, but it certainly wasn't the kind of place where you, you know, it wasn't a destination. I think like a golden corral, but like nobody's excited to go to golden. No, it's like the default choice. If you're, you know, after a certain event or you end up there at 2am or whatever, nobody seeks that out. The the other famous buffet is attached to the MGM grand. And you're only there because you're already at the casino or you're already wherever. To your point, you want to be Peter Luger where people travel to New York to go to Peter Luger to tell people they went to Peter Luger. Nobody does that for the MGM Grand Buffet. So 100% on that. As far as, um, and I I made that mistake when I first started speaking, you know, years ago. uh, I think I literally, someone said, so what do you speak on? And I said, what do you want me to speak on? And newsflash didn't get the gig. And so the, the simplest phrase, uh, I mean, we could, you and I could do a whole episode on just that and choosing your topic and everything else, but the simplest, tightest, uh, phrase that always reminds me of this. And and what I teach people is, uh, a friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours, actually, who's an incredible speaker on stage, walking across the stage, volume, tonality, like a plus, but was sort of meandering around different topics. He was trying to get listed with a couple of the bigger speakers bureaus and he was going back and forth in an email uh, chain and he, he showed it to me and he said, here's what they said. What do you think I should reply? And then basically the gist of it was he was meandering around too much of a topic and he thought they cared about his intonality and that he presented like Tony Robbins and this and that, but he didn't have a deep expertise in one thing. And the sign-off email from the big speakers bureau that basically said, sorry, we're not working with you is we don't work with speakers. We work with experts who speak. Yeah. And that was, that's the tightest version of it, which is don't become a speaker in air quotes, a speaker in general, become an expert who speaks. So you teach people the speaking aspect very well and how to find gigs and everything else, but your best students don't search for general speaking gigs. They figure out who their topic is, mm-hmm. who their thing, you know, your book and, and all your training explains know who you're speaking to. Are you speaking around like we, the example we used before employee engagement and then the different types of people that hire speakers, corporations, associations, educational institutions, which of those are you speaking to? Because speaking to the fortune 500 is very different than speaking to the local parking lot pavers association of America, which I've spoken to both and they look nothing like each other and the right. path to get those gigs looks nothing the same. And yet we think we're like, Oh, we're just, a speaker. There's, there's a mental construct that you probably see a lot, which is, God, if I just got a chance, I'll go up there and I'll melt their faces off. The problem with that is the event planner, the event organizer doesn't want to put their entire year and probably their entire career at risk, hoping that you're going to melt their faces off if you're just given the chance, yeah. right? You don't, you don't watch football on Sunday and say, you know what? I hope the Green Bay Packers give me a chance. If Aaron Rodgers goes down, I'm, I'm going out there. No, that's a bad, bad idea. But yeah, with speaking, because we speak, because we're humans, we think that, oh, just give me that chance. 
the reality is anyone, you know, I think we talked in, in the earlier episode with you, I can't remember if it was number five or 260, but the concept of at-bats, you just need more yeah. at-bats. And, and I, I actually tweeted earlier, I said, the best practice is the game, mm-hmm. which means you can sit at home and rehearse your slides and, and do all this stuff. And, but the best practice is the game. And that's why organizations like Toastmasters or do more free gigs. Most, most students and most folks listening to this you don't need more paid gigs. You need more free gigs to practice it, to become an expert. Most of my perfect intro talk, which works very well now, wasn't very good in the beginning. It's be, it was the hundredth time that I gave it that it started to get good and people raised their hand and asked smart questions afterwards. And then I tweaked it. So that, that concept of at bats and you, you grow at the, at, the, at the pace you grow. You don't go from, yeah. from zero to fortune 100. Well, to that point, um, we're running low on time. I still got so many questions for you. Okay. You just, you kind of mentioned there, um, that, uh, things, and you even talked about this as far as like when you were doing crowdfunding, can your perfect intro change over time? Cause I think that's the other thing that speakers get stuck on is it feels like, ah, man, I, you know, I helped this, but I, I'm also interested in doing this. And these, there are these other things. And so we feel like we're either pigeonholing ourselves or that we are getting a tattoo that there's this permanent decision that we're making when in reality, like we're picking a starting point, like it, it can evolve and change over time. But like, how do you kind of think about that and the balance between, yeah, you like you want to lock into something, be willing to go down that path for a minute, but don't feel like you have to do it for the next 50 years. Um, so how do you kind of think about like how your perfect intro can evolve and change over time? Yeah, that's perfect. Um, great question. And I'm glad you asked that. And that's why you're so good at this. Not just, I have good news. Not just is it true that you can you can change your perfect intro over time, but you can also have as many as you want at any given time. That's one of the things I teach is like, you can have infinite number of perfect intros. I want you to be able to assemble. I help people verb their noun or I help entrepreneurs, you know, change who it is who help verb their noun. I help event planners, whatever. Before you step on a plane, before you walk into a conference, if I was going to speak to, uh, you know, the XOXO conference in Portland, I wouldn't say entrepreneurs, I'd say creatives. They're still entrepreneurs, but they refer to themselves as creative. So I would just swap out that word. You can, I want you to think of your perfect intro like a slot machine and you can pull the lever anytime you want, as many times as you want. And before you walk into any meeting, any context, you can change your website. Last time I checked, it doesn't cost anything to change the words on your website. So try it out, see what works, go talk to people and try telling, try test out your perfect intro and try telling the story of the people that you help and what you've helped them do. And if it, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, imagine you're, you're at a, at a clothing store at a, at a, you know, Neiman Marcus and you're going down the rack and trying the 44 and that jacket's way too big. The 42 still too big up the 40. Now we're getting close and it feels like you'll try on different perfect intros and they'll feel, uh, better and, and feel more correct. You want one that tees up, uh, you want one that, that you can say confidently, don't worry about it being hundred percent complete, right? Uh, I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams. Well, there's a lot more behind that, right? Seth Godin's okay. is I notice things. Think of all the things that Seth Godin does and his perfect intro is I notice things. Gary V's is I day trade attention, right? Think of all the things that Gary V does, but he day trades attention. Or sometimes he'll say I day trade attention and build businesses. Does he do more than that? Yeah. Does he write books? Yeah. Does he speak? Yeah. Does he do all those things? but you can roll it up to the point where people are like, Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And now you're in that tennis match that you want. 
Yeah. And it also kind of depends on the context of who you're talking to. You know, if you're talking, if you're at a, you know, a speaker event and you're talking to fellow speakers, you may use one phrasing. If you're at a family reunion talking with your aunt uh, that you see once every five years, you're probably going to use slightly different language, you know, Uh, or if you're talking with, you know, whoever, a neighbor or whatever. And and some of it depends on maybe how deep you want to go into that. Um, uh, let's wrap up with this, like, because this is something you, you touched on earlier, teased on earlier, uh, the case story. Um, so kind of explain what that is and how that fits in. Yeah, absolutely. So the case story is the thing that you want to say after you say your short, tight, confident little intro, and then they ask that follow-up question. You want to, most people say, oh, I get it, Clay, the perfect intro. Now, after they ask a question, now I really unload the bullet points on them and, and dump what I really do. No, that is not the way this works. What you want to do is tell the story of whoever it is you helped. So if I say, I help entrepreneurs fund their dreams, it doesn't matter whether you say what kind of entrepreneurs, what kind of dreams, are you an investor? I say, well, let me tell you about Lee Miller. So Lee had this really cool invention, blah, 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 blah. And you tell the story of the person that you helped. And we can get into more detail in in the future on this, but don't talk about yourself. Talk about who it is you helped. And when they, here's the, the high level structure is this. When they came to you, they were struggling with a certain thing. And then through working with you, and again, you're, you're sort of like Yoda in this and they're Luke Skywalker, right? Through working with you, they achieved this great thing. You helped figure out their problem, solve their struggle, and you helped them come out much better on the other end. And if you do this right, I know it's a super short version of it, but if you do this right, at the end, they'll almost forget that you're the person you're talking about. You're because you're talking more about the person you help. And then at the end, you get you just get to say, So that's what I do, or so that's what I speak on. Mm-hmm. Right. So it but to use your speaker example, I help big com- I help big companies rally their troops. Oh, what do, what do you mean? Or or how do you do that? Or what kind of companies or what kind of troops? The key phrase to pivot into your case story is, well, let me tell you a story. And that's your little trigger, your little cue. And when you get really good at this, when you practice it, you can drop the, let me tell you a story and just launch into your story, right? You, you and I both know you don't walk out on stage and say, let me tell you a story. You just start the story. But as a, as a mnemonic device, as a trigger, as a, as a memory hook, when someone says, what do you mean? And how do you do that? You can say, well, let me tell you a story. And that's your trigger to tell the story of your customer. Then you do that and explain the transformation that you led them through. And then at the end, like I said, if you did it right, they might have forgotten that you're telling that they know that it's your mouth moving that you're telling the story, but it's not about you, right? If I tell the story of Lee Miller and the way I end that story is so when he launched on Kickstarter, he was fully funded in 36 minutes, 200% funded on the first day, raised over $270,000 to launch his idea. And now you can buy it in Pet Value and PetSmart. So that's what I do. And the whole time I'm talking about Lee Miller and his successful Kickstarter campaign, not about my spreadsheets or my strategy. Talk about the success of your customer. And that's what I call a case story. Got it. Very good. I know there's a a lot more we could probably dig in on this, but I want to be respectful of your time. If people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, if we want to dig into more of the the perfect intro, uh, we haven't even talked about the perfect brand. uh, Some of the other pieces you've got going, Uh, where, where can we go? Uh, you can text intros to three, three, four, 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 and I'll send you a PDF of this, or you can just find me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm much better on Twitter or Instagram than LinkedIn, but it's just uh, clay Hebert, H E B E R T. 
you mentioned the texting thing. This is something that a lot of speakers like to use or are interested in using. Tell us uh, real quick that what's the software that you use and kind of the, the behind the scenes of what's going to happen when we do this. Yeah, for sure. I just use lead digits from lead pages. And uh, if you text intros, I-N-T-R-O-S to 33444, uh, it'll send you a text and you just reply with your email address and then I'll send you a PDF of the perfect intro. So something that certainly speakers can be using, uh, whether you're speaking virtually or uh, like in this context, or you're speaking in person. And it's a really great way as a, having some type of lead magnet of just kind of a follow-up. Hey, I just gave a presentation. I gave a talk. If you want to dig into more of what we just talked about, or even just some rehashing of what we just talked about, here's a way for us to continue the conversation uh, offline. So good stuff, Clyde. We appreciate it, man. Always. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate you. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. And again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.